It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. ...and crannies of your body's basement. But this year, Manscaped can help you get the perfect presentation on that beautiful face with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Make sure you look your best this spring by using code BELLY20 to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. So tame your mane with the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. The sun is peeking back out, which means you'll have to show your face in the daylight again. So use the kit to make sure your scruff looks award-winning, whether you have glorious beard flow or some smooth, sleek cheeks. Save 20% off and free shipping with the code BELLY20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code BELLY20 at manscaped.com. Focus on the face and use the Beard Hedger Pro Kit for the cleanest look in the game. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Well, welcome back into another Thursday night with the MD's Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Thank you to all of you out there watching this show live on our YouTube channel. Subscribe if you haven't already done so. Hit the bell notification. Get notified whenever we have new content available to you. And make sure you download the show when you're on the go to stay up to date with us. And we're widely available on any podcast platform you could possibly think of. Because that's what we do here at the NBA's Fantasy Football Show. Today... We have the NFC West team profile episode. That means we are, including today's episode, two away from being done with this series just in time for training camp and have you guys ready to go for your August drafts. It's been a blast. We've had a ton of great guests, and it's no different than the guests that we have here tonight. So let's get him introduced properly, shall we? And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. He is the NFL analyst at the NFL Network and the prime researcher. You can find him at social media at The Real Deal Fantasy, Mr. LaCroix Jones. Yo, what's going on, man? That is a hell of an intro, man. That is Top tier. That's the first time I've ever been introduced like that. <laughs> well, you're a hell of a guest and you deserve every bit of it, especially taking the time out to be part of the show. All right, we're going to try something. We do have Chris in the background. We've been having some technical difficulties. We'll see if we can get him on. Chris, can you hear us now? Hey, Chris. That is a blank stare of a no. So we're going to get Chris <laughs> off real quick. Hopefully, we'll be able to get it figured out at some point today. But NFC West, yes, is what we got going on. And of course, I mean, it's a fantasy gold mine, not to put up too much of a pun on the 49ers. And Laquan and I will we'll do get out. He's a Rams fan. I'm a 49ers fan. So this show oh. should be uh, pretty fun. <laughs> fun fact, actually, we're from the same town. And yet we're both West Coast fans. 
Crazy. Crazy. How'd right? that happen How for you? <laughs> How'd that happen for you? How did you become a Rams fan? So the first ever game I've ever watched was Rams, you know, in the prime of basically greatest show on turf. So, you know, it's easy to fall in love as a kid, as a new fan, because soccer is my first love. So I've been playing soccer since I was six, watching soccer probably since I was like 10. So it's like soccer was soccer, everything. And then football is like, yo, what is this team? Like, yo, this, who's this Marshall Falk guy? Like, who's this Tory Holt? Like Isaac Bruce, like the names go on. Kurt Warner, you know. And it's like you 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 see them play and you just fall in love with it, man. Like this is my team and I'm gonna stay loyal to it. Yeah, that it was a fun team to fall. Even as a 49ers fan, I had to respect and enjoy yeah. watching that team. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Maybe I go back a little bit further than you do because I kind of yeah. had that with the 90s of the 49ers with Steve Young and Jerry Rice. Not quite Joe Montana old. I'm actually jealous. I missed that time in football, to be honest. Yeah, just, like I watched the highlights and I can see how people can fall in love with the Niners. Like they were a, a great dynasty team, man. Like, you know, big ups to you. You picked the right team, man. Well, you're not far off. You just had a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. So yeah. we'll, have to talk, we'll have to get into the nitty gritty here on the fantasy side of things. Let's just jump off right away with the coaching changes. Cause there's only one in the entire division really for fantasy sake. Anyway, <laughs> Laquan, I'm about to give you my favorite coaching clip of all time. What's up? Hey! What's up, man? How you doing? Good. Good. Shots. Explosives. Explosives. You can run. Michael Scott. <laughs> oh, my God. He has not coached a single game in the NFL yet. And that's already my favorite coaching clip ever. I'm ready. I still don't know if he knows who he was talking to. <laughs> well, you just, well, you're just a small guy. You got to be quick. I'm just going to say you're pew, pew. You're explosive. That There's something be. in the water in the coaching staff with the Philadelphia Eagles. Because Nick Serini, like, his opening was very I, weird as well. Yeah. <laughs> they got something weird going on over there, man. But it is Philly. It is Philly. But, yeah. uh, man, that 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 was a, a clip. I'll say that. Very interesting. That was, just fantastic. Oh, that's not going away. I'm going to be playing that a lot during the season. Two, guys. <laughs> Obviously, Jonathan Gannon, from a fantasy standpoint, is, is not what we care about. What we care about is his offensive coordinator, Drew Petzing. That's who we care about. And trying Absolutely. to figure out what's his tendencies going to be. What's he going to bring to the table? And the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of unknown there. He's a rookie play caller, first and foremost. He's never called plays before. He was a positional coach for three years with the Browns two years as a tight ends coach, one year as a quarterback's coach. That was his past season. Jacoby Reset did very well. We can give him some credit for that, I suppose. But when you look at, when you look at Drew Petzing, what are you expecting us to see out of this Cardinals offense? Um, honestly, man, we got to look at that quarterback position. Colt McCoy is probably going to be the starter. I know they drafted a guy that keeps slipping my mind that I keep thinking about. I really feel so tuned. Yeah, he can end up being the starter at some point, you know, in those first couple of weeks, because I don't believe that Kyler is going to be on track for week one. But you want a coach like Drew that can showcase a Jacoby Percet to manage the games to go out there and put points on the board and try to put these young players in their best positions. And you kind of want that as a coaching staff. So from a fantasy standpoint, it makes this offense somewhat attractive to to go out and try to like take shots in because all these guys ADPs are probably less than what they should be you know if Kyler was healthy and be there and I feel so guys like Trey McBride you know you can get very late in drafts who can end up 
showcasing some real good talent, you know, in the beginning of the season with Colt McCoy and stuff like that, because I don't know if Zach Ertz is going to be there, you know, going into week one. That's always in the back of my mind when I'm drafting Trey McBride. But this offense, I think we're going to see a lot of James Conner. We're going to see, you know, Marquise Brown get fed. And then we're going to see, you know, hopefully we can get a breakout out of Trey McBride. So there's guys that you can draft on this offense. Absolutely. Well, yeah, which is why the, the coaching situation is is as interesting and as important as it is. And we're going to revisit all those players you just mentioned throughout the show today. When I look at him, I'm like, look, the defense, at least on paper, doesn't seem to be all that talented. The quarterback situation is not going to be Kyler Murray, at least for the first quarter, maybe yeah, more of the season. No. That's that's a weird situation going on there with that, saying that his goal is to be ready for week one. And so uh, yeah. I don't think this coaching staff is going to throw him out there the first month of football, at least. You know what I mean? He had an ACL in December. He's not going to be out there getting paid what he does in the beginning half of the season. I don't even think... And we'll get to the Kyler Murray thing in just a second. And I'll, I'll wrap up with the coaching staff here. My point with, with, with Drew Petzing is that I think we'll see a conservative offensive approach, at least if nothing else, a balanced approach with some Kevin Stefanski implements of zone scheme yeah. and, and, and some quarterback rollouts to try to make things as easy and as ball controlling as possible because that defense, I don't know if they're going to stop anybody. But let's, no. let's, let's move into the quarterback so we can talk about Kyler Murray. <laughs> And we'll we'll just get him out of the way at the jump. So you mentioned it. He, he talks about you know my goal is for week one, which is nobody in this, involved in the situation think that's actually a possibility. My question is more around: Do you think Kyler even plays at all this year? Because if it's week six, week seven, by the time he is cleared, and this Cardinal team is one in five or even zero oh and six, reaching that point, yeah. they are they even sold on this guy with a new regime? Uh, I'm not too sure on it. It's a weird situation, man. Because like, say he does come back week eight, week nine. What is the Cardinals looking at right now as a record? Are they in contention for playoffs? Absolutely not. I mean, I don't see the point to put him back out there because if they put him back out there, then there's no future plans for him. There's basically saying, hey, go out there and, you know, do whatever you want to do and play out your contract. But if you're looking at Kyler as your franchise quarterback and you're not trying to trade him and you're looking at him to be the guy for the X amount of years, you're not going to put him out there and risk him like that. Like this coaching staff is very experienced and I really feel as though you have guys coming from Philadelphia. They're coming off of that Super Bowl high that they're chasing. And I feel as though they're hungry as well going to their new destination. So making the right decision to have Kyler sit out this entire season would be indication like yeah we're going all for all for it all next season because if they put him back out there they're tanking for caleb that's just that's what i'm thinking okay so you so you got an opposite take on that than i do i actually look at it as if they keep collar on the bench they're trying to trade him so they can go get caleb not yeah. the opposite way around so, so walk me through that why is it with kyler murray with him playing you think they're actually going to go for caleb Look, the, the, the atmosphere is already toxic. You you see D-Hop leave. That's already indication, you know, he's kind of through with the situation. And we're seeing Kyler in live action, just like how you and me and everybody else in the world. Like, he's an issue. He's a kind of a hothead. He's kind of problematic. And I don't think teams want to deal with that when you're in a startup, when it's your first coaching gig and you want to make a great impression on the owners. Like, I don't want a quarterback that's going to give me backlip. And, you know, it goes beyond passion. And I, I don't want to throw that diva tag on him because I only think that works for wide receivers. But I really feel as though it's kind of like, hey, whatever, you know, whatever happens, play out your contract and call it a day and we'll draft for the future just so you can feel that pressure. 
Yeah, and right now, unless you're in super flex or best ball leagues, Kyler Murray isn't even should not be on your radar. Uh, we'll we'll do this real quick. Uh, Clayton Tune or Colt McCoy? Who do you think starts week one? Who man? Uh, I'm gonna say Colt McCoy. I I I really feel as though Colt McCoy is the safer, you know, bet this, you know, going into the season with. I, I think he's the veteran. He 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 knows football. That's the good thing, you know, and he could probably adapt the systems a little bit faster than a rookie. So I, I will put my money on Colt McCoy. I would, too. I think the only uh, real issue with the people are concerned about is that he was dealing with an elbow injury. But he did take part in OTAs. They're saying yeah. he's going to probably clear for the beginning of training camp. We're not really too worried about his health there. And, and Clayton Tune is a project at best, a backup at best. I think the reason why he even gets drafted in the fifth round, not the seventh round, is because everyone's now looking for the, you know, the new Brock Purdy. We're just <laughs> going to talk about in, in just a second. It's just, <laughs> oh, it's just, let's talk about that. Let's talk about San Francisco. Let's move, let's move on to that situation. Cause as a fan, I, I want to, I want to shoot myself in the head. I, I really do. I, I don't like my quarterback situation, no matter who it is, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, Purdy did great. Wonderful. Great story. Uh, but there's limitations to his game, without a doubt. Yes. However, when I do look at the 49ers quarterback situation, it's not a fantasy question so much to me. Well, at least not as far as would I rather have Purdy if he starts, would I have Trey Lance if he starts? No, it's yeah. more of a question of do you want another option at quarterback for your fantasy football team, or do you want the guys that you're spending the draft capital on, like Crashing McCaffrey as the RB1 overall, Debo Samuel as the wide receiver 16, Brian Ayuk as the wide receiver 31, George Kittle as the tight end five? Do you want them to meet their expectations with what you're drafting them with? And I think if the answer to that is yes, to me, it's Brock Purdy. And if you're asked sitting there and sitting yourself thinking, well, why can't it just be both in, in an effort for Trey Lance to be the guy? We've seen enough already. And yeah. if you want to give me the whole, it's a small sample and all this garbage that he's been put in this bad situation, yada, yada, yada. All I have to do is show you the first snap Brock Purdy took compared to the entire game of first start for Trey Lance when he's fully healthy against the Arizona Cardinals. And you tell me who runs this offense better, more efficiently. It's not a question in my eyes. So Laquan, I ask you, which one would you rather see? Ah, man, you got to throw Brock out there because like you were saying with the ADPs, I think the ADPs are reflecting to basically sit with if Brock is the starter. Now, if we get whispers, questions, because Sam Darnold's there too, man. So it gets a little nasty, you know, once we get into training camp at the end of this month. If these reports are indicating, you know, we got Sam Darnold there or Trey Lance is lining up and Brock Purdy is not being the guy anymore, it's like, well, we need to change these ADPs. Then, like, these need to change because everybody needs to drop at least a couple couple rounds if you get give me a Trey Lance out there week one because one, there's no chemistry built. We don't know if he can stay healthy. You're you're just gambling too much with Trey Lance right now. And I think the safer bet here is Brock Birdie out there week one. Yeah, and I just want to point this out just, just to harbor on that point just a little bit more. Trey Lance, 54% completion. Brock Purdy, 67%. This offense is built around making accurate passes over the middle of the field. That's what Purdy does. Lance does not. The other layer part of this, you mentioned Sam Darnold. So let's say Purdy is not cleared to play week one. Yeah. Is it going to be Sam Darnold or Trey Lance, you think? <sighs> Man, it, it's it's really between Lance and Darnold where the training camp reports will matter. Um I would rather see Sam Darnold out there just with the veteran approach, how I'm going with some of these quarterbacks, you know, week one. Um, I think guys, uh, I think they, they they respond better to the veteran going to week one. They feel safe. 
Trey Lance, we could still label him as a rookie, really, because what has he done? He hasn't been on the field there. So he's still wet behind the ears. So as a guy probably in the locker room, I would say Sam Darnold if it's not Purdy. And as a team who has Super Bowl aspirations, too. And again, I go back to this. As bad as Sam Darnold is, and he is, let's just not get this twisted at all. (laughs) He probably still fits the mold of a Brock Purdy of the way Shanahan wants to run this offense better than Trey Lance does. Mm -hmm. I'm with you with that. I I feel as though he look the first four weeks, he could win you three games, maybe. You know what I mean? And it's like, I would take that over Trey Lance, who could possibly go one in three the first month. So it's like, I don't want to set the tone for my team with that. I agree. So I'm glad we're on the same page there because I usually have a little bit more of a debate. I like it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I knew it was a good pick when I asked you to come on this show. Lizard Well, Seattle and Geno Smith. Ooh. And I guess the big question here is, is what he did in 2022, is that what Geno Smith is now? Or is he going to come back to what he had been his entire career? Was it just a one-year wonder? Listen, uh, Geno Smith is for real. I think this was always in Geno. He just needed the right coach. And I was fighting for, as a Rams fan, was fighting for Pete Carroll to get coach of the year, man, because this just shows how good of a coach he is to get get a guy that's coming in with kind of like low spirits. And you hear the reports of Drew Locke beating Geno out of camp. And I'm like, wow, Geno is really bad. <laughs> but here we are. We see Geno leading the league in completion percentage and passer rating and doing all these stats week to week. And it's like, wow, Geno always had this in him he's motivated and he has a coach that knows how to utilize him and not put him in uncomfortable positions because i feel like there's a lot of times you see gino go out there and with the jets and his short time with the giants and it's like he's not comfortable like he's not confident in any throw he's making so when he stepped in for a little bit for russell that one year it was like oh okay there we go. We got Geno Smith on the board. So it, it it's it's for real, man. And I, I think for fantasy, you draft him as a guy that's for real. He he's he's a good value right now if you want to wait on quarterback and stack up at other positions. I put him with the Jared Goffs, the Kirk Cousins, and there's guys like you know Daniel Jones that's going around there as well. But Danny has the the rushing upside. But Geno, he's going to be a game manager for you for fantasy. Like you can easily get 18 to 20 fantasy points per game with him and you're getting what two touchdowns and you it's just a lot of going on with that offense right now, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Yeah. I mean, everything you said is fair. And just to add to that point, he does have a lot of weapons and that's all, yeah. that's all true. The where I struggle is well, two things. One, we saw him come back down to earth a little bit in the second half of the season, weeks 14 through 18 came back down to QB 13, found himself outside the top 12. But the other part is this. I have seen Career journeyman quarterback, time and time again, have these little outbursts. And sometimes it lasts an entire year. And eventually they come screaming back down to what they were before. Brock Osweiler. (laughs) Brock Osweiler, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Case Keenum. The the, the list kind of goes on and on a little bit. And that's where I have hesitancy, especially when talking about Geno Smith going where he is. Now, the good news is you're drafting him outside the top 12. So there's not a ton of risk when mm-hmm. it comes to fantasy prowess. And I do think the answer personally is somewhere in between. I don't think he is the guy that we saw last year, a 30 touchdown performer, but is he what we saw the most of his career with this team? I think he's not, I think he's a 25 touchdown type of quarterback and that will be good enough to get everybody else involved. But from a fantasy yeah. standpoint, 
it's just a limited ceiling. Will he have some waiver wire streaming value at some point? I do think he will have. That's your point. He is a guy in the right matchup should be able to get you 18 to 20 points and be able to hold down the fort. Hell yeah. All right. So we both agree with that there. So the last quarterback is your quarterback. It's your man, Matthew Stafford, who, uh, He's not, he's, people aren't really high on Matthew Stafford right now. And I can understand why, but when I look at Stafford, I see a potential golden ticket for those wanting to stream at the starting quarterback position. The last time I checked his head coach is still Sean McVay, which is still a pretty good offensive mastermind. And yes, there's not a ton of weapons, but as long as you have Cooper cup, eh, you keep they're, they're in the right direction. One weapon that's the only need to be utilized. <laughs> <laughs> His ADP right now is QB 21. I only have him at 19, so I'm not too much higher, but my eye is on him. Remember, this guy was quarterback five in 2021. Now, this is not the same team, but are people sleeping too hard on Matthew Stafford? No, I, I, as a fan, understand the worry, and it's definitely a gamble. I mean, you, you look at Stafford last season. Those first eight games, that was the most he's been sacked his entire career. So the O-line just completely fell apart. I mean, 14 different offensive linemen, that's nasty work, man. Like, your quarterback is getting beat up. Like, I don't know if you're watching the Netflix series uh, quarterbacks, but Kirk Cousins out there getting beat up bad, and, like, you're just feeling bad for the guy. And, like, you're looking at Stafford's injuries. It's like, how can this guy go out there and even try to play try to play football with the elbow, the neck sprain, and ribs. Like, he had a whole bunch of injuries where it's like, I don't understand how this guy's getting up to even perform the way he's performing now, bad or good. So I think I understand the worry there for everybody. Me personally, I'm not drafting him unless he really, really falls late to me. And I hate to say that because, like, I'm all in on Cooper Cup. I'm all in on Cam Akers this year and stuff like that. But it's like Stafford as the quarterback, I don't know if he's going to last the entire season if this O-line falls apart again. No, I totally agree. Again, you're probably not drafting him, but is he on my waiver wire radar? The answer to that is yes. I would not be surprised if he could pop. Yeah, definitely. There's probably going to be matchups, you know, where he's going to light it up. Like, don't get me wrong. The first three weeks, he might be lighting it up. He might be QB4 or QB3, like a top five quarterback. But once the injuries start piling up again, because we saw him come out firing, Cooper Cup would still wide receiver one he still was god and like i said it's just like stafford was still in between outside the top 12 top 15 where he was sitting there week to week where it's like uh it's happening he's he's getting more injured so it's just like i don't know and stenson bennett i'm glad he's there i'm glad he's 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 a bulldog and you know mcveigh's liking what he's seeing he's seeing that he has the football iq so he's sitting in the wind i'm telling you put him on your watch list because if stafford goes down again he's getting plugged right in Talk about another guy who deserves or who needs to send a gift basket to Brock Purdy. Because that's, again, another player I think only got drafted as high as he did because of that. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You're somewhat accurate and efficient. Uh, we're just going to uh, put you in, even though you have a limited arm strength. <laughs> on a miracle. <laughs> Let's <go>. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of running backs to talk about in this oh, division, man. This division is nasty. Let's start right at the top. Christian McCaffrey, CMC, man. Number one right now on basically everybody's board. And I had this conversation with Joe Pizapia last week when we were talking about the AFC South, and we were kind of wound up drifting off in the AFC South, as you normally do when you talk about that division. And yeah. we started talking about Bijan instead. And I kept saying if I had cojones, I would put Bijan in front of Christian McCaffrey. I, I do not as it stands today. But... but <laughs> 
He's in a great situation. There's no doubt about that. We have not seen a superstar running back of this caliber be matched up with that Shanahan system. But I do have a few questions. Like Elijah Mitchell, when he's healthy, what's that workload like? Because last year, 13 and a half opportunities for Christian McCaffrey and nine and a half for Elijah Mitchell in the per game base when they're healthy. Now, it's a small sample size. Yes, of course. Yep. And it was a big discrepancy when it comes to the passing game. It wasn't, it wasn't even close. Mitchell was never out there for that. He was only yeah. out there to close out games in the second half. But when you look at a guy who's being drafted as the number one running back overall, who could potentially be giving away opportunities yeah. at that rate, are you at all concerned? Oh, most definitely, because at the end of the day, it's a Kyle Shanahan system, and you know he's going to rotate running backs. It doesn't matter if you're Barry Sanders or Bo Jackson. You're going to rotate with another guy that was probably drafted in the eighth round. That's just kind of what happens, and I feel as though you're drafting him at one-on-one. That's not where he's at on my board, uh, to be honest, and I feel as though you have to account for that rotation because we're never going to – everybody's still chasing that 97% snap opportunity that one year that – CMC had he wasn't the same after that let's just put that out there like his body was not reacting properly after that season so there's still looming of the minor you know soft tissue injuries there and here and there but I don't feel as though he's going to be a workhorse to be drafted one-on-one and that's just my opinion like we all know who CMC is very talented running back he's still going to put points on the board but he's just not my number one off the board and when you draft him, make sure you handcuff Elijah Mitchell. Make sure you just have the expectations of drafting him to where it's like, okay, well, I got CMC. Let me go try to get some support for CMC. You know what I mean? No, I feel you on that one. That is definitely one of those high-end running backs. If you draft him, I'm going to be looking for the handcuff very much in my yeah. drafts and probably around earlier in the ADP. I want to ask you something just to be clarified. When you say he's not the 101, are you referring to him just not being the 101 overall or not being the number one running back on your board? Uh, number one running back off the board, like 101. Okay. That okay. that to make that clear, yeah. But he's a lot still of people are going Justin Jefferson number one. So I wanted to know if that if that was you mad. Yeah. I'm going Cooper Cup. I'm rolling the dice this year. It's not even a homer move. It's just like Cooper Cup was wide receiver one last year. He is going to see a high 25% plus target share. And he, he's just going to get fed. There's nobody there competing for targets and a, a healthy rejuvenated O-line. You got Stafford fingers crossed doesn't break. Cooper's getting fed. So give me that guy. We're, we're going to have that conversation again in just a little bit and add a, a, little, a little bit to it. One thing I want to add about Chris McCaffrey, though, is that you talked about that thousand and thousand season with the crazy snap count yeah. last year when he joined the San Francisco 49ers. That was the most that was the most efficient he had been since that season. So from one standpoint of, yes, he's 27. Well, last year showed you if you put him on a better team, he can still be crazy efficient with the football. And Elijah Mitchell, even though he's a handcuff. He gets hurt maybe more often than anybody does. So there are going to be games still where I think he'll move along. But you, well, I, I want to move along. Go ahead. We got Ash Jordan Mason. I mean, that would be your next bet. I mean, he's explosive. He showed flashes. But if you're going to worry about, you know, Mitchell's ADP a little too high for you as the handcuff, I mean, Jordan Mason put him on a watch list. Your very last pick and fingers crossed. And that's a good thing to bring up, too, because it is going to be is looking like it is going to be Jordan Mason, not Tyrion Davis Price, as far as that third string running back goes. That's, that's that's what we're reading on the tea leaves here. What about Seattle? You want to talk about another running back situation? Very, very, very interesting. Ooh. I'm going to put this out there. Um, Pete Carroll, I hate you. I spent lots of draft capital getting Kenneth Walker in the dynasty. Was very, very happy that he was going to be a top five running back this year until you had freaking draft Zach Charbonnet. 
I Ooh. hate you very, very much. Not just as a 49ers fan, but from a fantasy standpoint, too. Yeah. Now that I got that out the way, what do you got? I agree. That that was that was a dick move, Pete Carroll. But uh, <laughs> Zach Charbonnet, man, he's nothing to be slept on. I've been taking him a lot, you know, recently in drafts, you know. And it's like 6.0 yards per carry, I believe, or was it 6.6 yards per carry he had in college? Like, yes. it, it, it was something carry, ridiculous yes. to where, like, he is a grinder, and that's definitely going to play into, like, Pete Carroll's one-two punch he's been chasing all these years. He just couldn't find guys to stay healthy, you know what I mean? Like, I remember the Chris Carson's or Rashad Penny, you know, punch he was trying to get, and neither one of them could stay healthy. So there's guys going to be, you know, really having headaches week to week when it comes to Kenneth Walker with Zach Charbonnet there. So that's uh, a situation I'm glad to have Zach Charbonnet because I'm not paying that Kenneth Walker ADP, even though it's decent, but – no, nah, I don't think it's going to play out to where it needs to be. No, I, and that's exactly the conversation we need to have here because Kenneth Walker's ADP is RB sixteen, which is about roughly the fifth round. And again, these ADPs that I'm I bring to you are based but, off of FFPC. Yeah, just but to be clear. Before you go any further, think about other running backs that are there that still have a higher upside of workload than him because I really think this workload is going to be sixty forty, maybe fifty fifty, and that's not enough for me to take a guy when I can get a Joe Mixon there who has three hundred touches on the table there. Or Alexander Madison, or I, I'm with you. I don't have him there in the same in the same range as those guys right now. That's where his ADP is going as of this moment. While Zach Charbonnet, his his ADP is RB31. He, he's he's a mid level RB3 going into ninth round. And I I don't care what you. I, I love Kenneth Walker. I think he's super talented. I don't want to get this twisted as far as that goes. But if you're drafting here, at the very least, no matter how you think this split's going to go, that gap needs to be tighter whether it's Charbonnet up higher or Kenneth Walker down lower. You talk about the 50-40 split. I see this very similar to a Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt with Zach Charbonnet as the Kareem Hunt part of that aspect because yeah. he does have the better pass protecting and hands in the receiving game than a Kenneth Walker does. And Walker actually feeling more of that Nick Chubb role. Yeah. We're both very valuable. Yes, they both were very valuable. But do you think these guys can both finish in the top 24? <sighs> Man. Maybe. I mean, I really feel as though Pete Carroll is going to punch this one-two punch, and they're going to be very effective, and they're going to be a, a combo of, like, when we saw Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, where both of these guys are finishing with double-digit points every single week, and this may be something that we can be on board with. That You pay the price for Zach Charbonnet, and you kind of fade Kenneth Walker unless... You know, you, you you've in your 16th fantasy league and you just want to get cute. <laughs> you know what I mean? So unless you do that, but we're talking high stakes, man, you got to love that Zach Charbonnet ADP. You got to love the value there and the upside there for him as well, because he's going to get on the field. We know that, right? <laughs> he's a good pass protector. I talk about this all the time. If you're a rookie running back and you can pass protect, you will get on the field early, plain and simple. Now, having said that, if you're in a league where a lot of people are feeling down about Walker and he falls to, let's say, the seventh round, I'm going to pull the trigger on Kenneth Walker at that oh, yeah, yeah, Both yeah, these yeah, guys yeah. are going to be on the field. But it has to be at that value. We're both on the same page. Zach Charbonnet, his ADP value right now is the better selection over Kenneth Walker. Let's talk about Jabori Cam Akers. Woo! Here's the question for you. Is Cam Akers the man or is he a ticking time bomb? Ooh, that's, that's a good way to put that question, actually. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he's the man as of now. Um, I'm not faced by Zach Evans, you know, getting drafted in sixth round. That's kind of like here or there. I, I don't think he gets on the field or he's special teams. But I really feel as though uh, Cam Akers now has the opportunity to have the highest upside the highest ceiling for ppr right now with 
the passes that are going to be coming his way. And you got Mike LaFleur there. And I, I put up a stat on Twitter just the other day. Like every single team he had involvement in the past game, the running back unit averaged at least 7.1 targets a game. And that's like the volume's there for the running backs. You have you have Kyron Williams that's great at pass blocking. That's what he was highlighted for in Notre Dame. So maybe stash him as well. But I love Cam Akers as the workhorse. And I think McVay's going to ride him to the wheels fall off because you look at the end of that season. Man, Cam Akers was RB6, man. He was really chugging and going and getting to the touchdowns once, you know, the running back coach was out of town that last Seattle game last season. So it's like, man, once Cam Akers got loose, that's the Cam Akers we can get for an entire season, plus getting peppered with targets as well. I'm all in. Yeah, I'd, he's definitely going to be the man. I look at this depth chart, Sony Michelle, Zach Evans, Kyron Williams. I, 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 I'm I, not seeing anything that's going to make me feel like Cam Akers is not going to dominate yeah. the share load as far with that, with that with that group at all. But here's, you talk about those targets, and that's where he does need to get more involved and in a big way. And on the flip side of that, I don't know how much more he can really get involved because the Rams as a team, since Sean McVay's taken over, with the exception of Todd Gurley, haven't really thrown the ball to the running backs, no matter who it is. No, no. And I think you bring in like a Mike LaFleur to kind of get that that Todd Gurley feel back where these running backs are getting checked down screens. And I really feel as though McVay is going to tap back into what was so successful, so, so successful for him the first couple of seasons. And we haven't seen him run screens. We haven't seen him run the jet sweeps anymore. I remember, I know everybody remembers when Robert Woods was running that jet sweep almost at least twice, three times a game. And I really feel as though that's where the bread and butter was in 2017, 2018 was the screens, the jet suites, motion, all that stuff. Let's get back to basics. And you bring in a Mike LaFleur, the guy that is very familiar with all that stuff that can really help with this offense to get these running backs really involved and not put so much pressure on a Cooper Cup, not put so much pressure on Van Jefferson or any of these other guys that are underdeveloped. Get these running backs involved so it takes pressure off and it's balanced evenly. Like the Rams offense was probably the most balanced it's been when Todd Gurley was there, you know, running crazy on everybody. So I think this season, Cam Makers, man, he he, he has – I, I, I'm just excited just how many shares I was able to get, man. Like, I'm really happy about my Cam Makers shares this year, even though I was off on him last year. But this year, this is going to be the year. Well, you know, Laquan, he, he owes me because I was on him <laughs> last year, and technically I was right, okay? It ended the way I thought it was going to go. I'm just you saying. It ended the way it's supposed to start. I think that's what everybody was saying. <laughs> yeah. Technically, I was correct. Well, I'll just add his last thing in here. They have to figure out how to get back to basics because 76 targets in a season is the most they've had in the last three years, three years. since then. And that's pathetic when it comes to running backs getting involved in the past game. So that has to change from a schematic. That has nothing to do with acres. That's got to change from up top. With system, yeah, yeah, definitely. What about James Conner? I feel like he's like the redhead stepchild. He just gets punched in the face and all he does is show up for work every day and get a large work share and fall four yeah. for four yards and fall into the end zone. And yet nobody wants to touch this man for fantasy purposes, really, when it comes down to it. And yet I look at him and I don't see too many running backs who are in line for the work share that he's going to get. Is no. he an injury risk? Sure. Absolutely. What running back isn't at this point, especially yeah. at his ADP. So when you look at James Conner, I guess my question of what I focus more on is that if the offense is going to be as bad as we think it might be without Kyler Murray, can he still produce if he's getting that kind of volume as an RB2? Yeah, you, you definitely look at the backfield and see, like, who else is going to touch this ball? It's It has to be James Conner. And I feel as though, like, 
his ADP, it kind of reflects the gamble, you know? Like, I feel like if you do take him as your RB2, you got him cheap and you're stacked at wide receiver, tight end, quarterback, whatever other position. And there's some, there's been some drafts where I've seen him, people be able to get him as like the RB3 on their rosters pretty late, like in that six, seven range. And I feel as though that is criminally, you're stealing at that point. So you have at least 250, 260 touches on the table with him. So you really can't go wrong with that gamble. So I'll take it. You know or if somebody wants to argue with you, Laquan, about, like, oh, he's never going to make 250 because he's hurt. Oh, okay, fine. He's definitely a candidate for 20 opportunities each and every game right now. And that, yeah, that no, I don't think anybody can argue. Because the rushing upside as the quarterback is gone. You see what I'm saying? The rushing upside for the quarterback right. is gone. Kyler's not there. So they're going to have to get somebody with wheels and somebody that can grind it out, get into the end zone on the goal line, et cetera, et cetera. It can't be Kyler anymore. That red zone is going to be all James Conner, and I'm here for it. And only two years removed from a double-digit touchdown, 16-touchdown season. Yep. Man, the NFC West just keeps giving and giving. All right, let's talk about Cooper Cup. And I know you mentioned him a little bit in their show, and you kind of hit on the point that I wanted to bring up, which is why do people not take Cooper Cup more seriously as the number one wide receiver overall when he was two years removed from Kings when it comes to being the wide ball. last year before the injury was second and half point PPR number one and full point PPR and nine games in yeah. wasn't showing any signs of regression whatsoever even as with as well as Justin Jefferson and Tyree Kill and all those guys were doing up until that point so why don't people take it more yeah. seriously man it's fine you know he he's not the flashy name he's not the Jamar Chases and Justin Jefferson and stuff that's fine you know I mean I'll take him at the 106 that is a huge discount I'm seeing Travis Kelsey go before him and it's like Cooper Cup has done this before he's been injured 2019 he comes bounces back and he's freaking wide receiver five and it's like oh oh he's legit he's for real because Sean McVay's still the coach so I'm, I'm not understanding why people don't take him serious when he's displayed coming back from injury and having a top five season like this is still on the table for him coming back from this injury. I agree with that. And I have a number three behind Jefferson and Chase. And the only reason is this. I do very much concern myself with Stafford being able to be, stay healthy the entire year. And that's yeah. where Stetson Bennett, he comes in. Will they still focus on throwing the ball to Cooper Cup? Sure. But is it anything more than five yards past the line of yeah. scrimmage? And that's where I, I don't I don't know. And that's where I get a little bit queasy about taking Cooper Cup number one. And I think that's the reasonable argument to have. But it's not the argument you can have is not that Cup's not on the same level as those guys. Mm, yeah, yeah. I I I I I get the point with Stafford as well, too, because it is a huge gamble. Because who knows if it's going to go beyond five yards, which is kind of where we need Cooper Cup to be able to be available everywhere on the field. You know, like short, long, mid, it doesn't matter. Cooper Cup is going to catch the ball. And if you're limiting him to being one dimensional, ugh, I, I don't know if that's going to be good, but we shall see. Well, what about some other weapons on the Rams? And I look at Van Jefferson, and I think we got a sleeper on our hands quite potentially. This guy's somebody if he even is getting drafted. It's the 16th round in your draft, so he's yeah. pretty much going at the last round, or he's going to be available on your waiver wire. And it is a make-or-break season for him heading into his fourth yeah. year. He's got to show it, or it's Toast McGoats for his NFL career essentially being anything significant. I do like the talent. And the opportunity, of course, somebody else has to catch the ball besides Cooper Cup. Do you think that person could be Van Jefferson? 
It could be if he stays healthy, and that's always my concern with him. I mean, the dude put up 800 yards with Robert Woods and Odell Beckham in the building in 2021. So it's like he's going to go out there. He's going to ball out and do what he can. And to be a third option in that offense, you kind of have to be available. You have to be on the field because guys like Ben Skoranek, you know, he he's not showing any signs of slowing down. And McVay likes him because he understands the system. Like he understands blocks. Yeah, because he blocks. So he understands his role, and it's very important for him to be available in the pass and the run. So Van Jefferson's not being able to be healthy or even be 50% healthy. It's just he's out there useless, and he's not going to be able to burn the field. He's not going to be able to you know, be the decoy so Cooper Cup can get open because Van Jefferson's an awesome decoy. And like I really feel as though, man, he could break out, but that ADP reflects the gamble with him not being able to stay healthy. Well, and, and you're not paying anything for him. 16th round, you're, you're not paying for it. That is somebody who I have on my name radar when I'm at the back end of the draft and I'm taking a flyer. That's someone I'm taking a flyer because if things go right, let's say Stafford does stay healthy and Sean McVay does get back to being Sean McVay, all of a sudden it's a pretty good offense and somebody else has cup is going to have big statistics. And yeah. that's why I look at Van Jefferson as a big way as a guy that I will take a shot on. We don't want to take shots on these next guys in Seattle. We don't take shots on DK Metcalf. We don't take a shots on Tyler Lockett. I will say this, though. Do people have amnesia? Why does Tyler Lockett consistently have this low gap, ADP <laughs> gap between him and DK Metcalf? Like, they don't finish right next to each other every single year with a couple of years mixed in of Lockett finishing ahead of Metcalf, by the way. So when I look at this and I see, I just had it in front of me, I have, I have DK Metcalf at wide receiver 15 right now and Tyler Lockett at wide receiver 33 as their ADP, what is with that gap dude i have no idea but it's the greatest discount all of fantasy football right now and it's it's not necessarily because of dk it's because of the other guy they drafted jsn and it's like tyler lockett has been proving himself year after year people what are we doing the disrespect is crazy but i'll take the disrespect and you know cash in on sundays but I think people are just really scared right now about JSN getting involved in this offense, becoming another weapon. But that's Tyler Lockett's not the guy that's going to get affected by this. It's the other guy with the the high ADP right now. I agree, one hundred. Could not agree more. By yeah. the way, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, in his own right, with where he's being drafted, which is in single digit rounds, is insane to me. Yeah. He's not going to, this offense, and you want to make the argument they've never had a, a really good third receiver, fine, but this offense has never featured a third receiver, no, ever. They mm -mm. No, Pete they have It's too balanced. Too. Yeah, this is new to have somebody of that caliber of talent, you know, to be able to come in and play that third wide receiver because we've seen the Marquise Goodwins and there's guys I can't even remember right now, really, that were that third wide receiver where it's just like, okay. Oh, Okay, he's on the field. That's cool. He has 300 yards to end the season. But I think we're going to see a lot more different, you know, plays and like schemes and stuff like that where JSN gets heavily involved. And that's where my point comes in that it's not going to be Ty Lockett going to be suffering. It's going to be DK Metcalf. Well, here's the name for you. The last time the Seahawks had a third receiver with more than 50 targets in the season was 2017 Paul Richardson. Oh, yo, <laughs> I remember that. Oh, my God. That was the last time they had a third receiver who was even somewhat significant in his opportunities yeah. in this offense. Well, Rich, that's a random name. Next time I see a post, I say, name a random player, I'm going to say him. <laughs> <laughs> that is random. 
Oh my God. I was just like, when I'm doing my research, I was like, I came across that. I was like, I, I just blew my mind. Because <laughs> I'm looking at, like I said, I look at Jackson the Jigba, and he's not the receiver, the rookie receiver I'm looking to take a shot on this year. I like him. Don't get me wrong. I, I think he's next on Mon Ross St. Brown. I don't think there's any question about that. But after Lockett leaves, to your point, yeah. Lock is not going to be the one losing his role. He's the one who can go inside, outside. I think the Jigba is somebody who's going to need to play the slot earlier on in his career. And the other flip side of this is that, well, unless DK Metcalf starts capitalizing on some of these red zone looks, (laughs) I question his ceiling. I mean, look at the look at last year when he finished. uh, I'm missing it here. He was wide receiver 18 last year. And you were drafting him as wide receiver 12. You were. And that's what I'm talking about. We keep doing the same mind trick soon as the season ends where Ty Lockett becomes this nobody guy. And I'm like, dude, football just ended like two weeks ago. What are we saying? What are we doing? Like, did you not see his numbers? I mean, people like to give this false narrative about Ty Lockett. And I, I'll admit I was on that train at one point where he's insufficient and week to week, it's a headache. It's up and down roller coaster. He scores all the points on your bench type of guy. And it's like, no, man, I, I really feel as though our expectations are, kind of messed up because we fade him and go get DK and we deal with the same stuff. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) And and look, Lockett has averaged a 22.7% team target share per game basis over the last three years. It's not going away. No, it's not going away. And and that's where I will take that all day, every day. Volume is king, man. And I really think people who play that way and follow the volume, you have to follow the value here too with his ADP. It's wildly disrespected. You got it's basically you got the the head honcho of the target share going what? I think what that's like at the fifth round, you said like wide receiver 31. Oh, lower lower than that. Wide receiver 33. He's going, he's going in the seventh round right now. Oh in FFPC anyway. Yeah, there, there's no way. There's no way. Um taking DK with that value sitting there in the seventh round. No way. Yeah. Okay. Let's move to San Francisco. And uh, my question is who's really the wide receiver one in San Francisco. They're drafting like it's Debo Samuel at wide receiver 16. Brian Ayuk getting drafted at wide receiver 24 ish, 25 ish range at the moment. Yeah. And for the most part, it's been slight, slightly Debo as number one target, but like by two, 0.5% 0.5% team targets are on a per game basis. That's it. That's how tight it's been over the past couple of seasons, including by the way, Debo Samuel's big breakout season last yeah. year. There, I think here's what I will say about Debo. I think there's too much being made about him being rendered useless in the rushing game with Christian McCaffrey there. He still averaged over three carries a game. Yeah. Averaged over 10 opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely still involved. Um, it, it, it's a sticky situation with Debo because I have this weird theory. If you, you, you want to let me get into that real quick. Go ahead. Well, I have this weird theory where, you know, he has this nasty injury history. And I think that breakout year, I think I was all in on him because he knew he had to get paid. Like this was make or break. And I feel as though he stopped protecting himself last season. Like there was times where you watch Debo, he go across the middle and he's looking for the contact. And I was like, yo, this guy's electric. He just needs to stop going head up with linebackers that are like a hundred pounds heavier than him. And it's like, he got paid. He got what he wanted. The, the, the sense of like, Oh, I got to take care of myself. I got to show I can stay healthy. It kind of went out the window. And I really feel as though we're in that pocket now where we're looking at Brandon. Ayuk. He's the guy, he's the wide receiver one. He stepped up huge. He got my respect because I was talking down about him 
all last season and the season before that. And I'm like, he gained my respect. So if you're going to draft a guy, you go after Ayuk. He is turning heads in camp right now. If you read the, the tea leaves, he is he's into form to where he's confident and he's out of the doghouse. So you have to be happy to be able to get him that late in drafts. Yeah, everyone's been raving about how great he has looked so far. And I think we'll hear more of that when it comes to training camp. And I'm going to add this part in here too. Weeks 10 through 14, which was the only time really we saw Debo and Ayuk and McCaffrey and, and George Kittle all healthy yeah, at the same time. Ayuk was wide receiver 20. Debo was wide receiver 23. And to your point, yes, this is Ayuk's turn where he is the one who needs to get paid now. He's going to be all in on the opportunity, yeah. especially if Purdy's the one that quarterback, I'm just going to mention that real quick there. Thank you. Cross. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Right, so we're both on the same page. Ayuk at his ADP, especially right now, and would not be shocked. In fact, I'm projecting it right now as Ayuk being the number one receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. Debo's still a good play. He'll still be a top 24 guy, I think, when First it's all towel. said and done. Yeah. But Ayuk, I think we're looking at, I think we're looking at Ayuk as a potential top 15 wide receiver comes this year in fantasy draft. So keep Listen, that in mind. I'm going, I'm going top 12. Ooh, so who do you have in leapfrogging if he's going top 12? Listen, he's going top 12. He's he's leaping over the the T Higgins. He's leaping over guys like DK. He's leaping all those guys. I really feel as though if Brock Purdy, fingers crossed, he's going to be that guy that is going to have a heavy target share. He's going to be very efficient. He's going to be the red zone hog, or it could be Kittle too if Brock Purdy's there. But I really feel as though you split that red zone target share, you, you're going to get touchdowns out of Ayuk. Like, I, I feel as though you're missing out on the touchdown upside for IU. You feel me? If you're going Debo Samuel, you're Debo. He's still, like you said, he's still going to get involved in the run game. Like all these points are going to come everywhere for Debo, but I just don't know if it's going to be as valuable as IU is with the touchdowns and the long ball and just the, just the target share itself. So that's definitely going to be a guy you need on your rosters. People. It's funny you mentioned because Debo and his lack of touchdowns is going to be a big part in our George Kittle yes. conversation in a, yeah. in a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Marquise Brown, though, before we wrap up the wide receivers. So this is a guy, I'm going to be honest with you, I have no inner vibe one way or another on how I really feel about this player. So I, I see a guy with high target share definitely should be available. I don't know if that means a damn thing. So when I look at Marquise Brown at wide receiver three, and he's get, he's getting drafted right now at wide receiver 35. I have at wide receiver 33. I'm not much higher than ADP. I'm giving him a little bit of respect. This guy does have electric ability when he can yeah. get after the catch. So maybe he can make something happen off of that. But Man, if I'm not sure if Kyler's going to play this year and I'm dealing with Colt McCoy and Clayton Toon, it just makes you not excited. What's your vibe on Marquise Brown? I'm right with you. I feel no way because I, I, I just go right past him on boards. I see him go off the board. I don't lose sleep. I keep moving. I, I just don't know because the, the question at quarterback, like I know if Kyler was full blaze, good to go, I would be in on Marquise Brown just with the target share and the chemistry they have. But like you, man, I feel no way. I really don't know. He hasn't been hitting big plays when, when there's poor quarterback plays. 6.6 yards per target last year. And, of course, with his stature, he's not really much of a touchdown threat to begin with and only 2.8% last year. And I don't know how much more that goes up. So you're talking about a, vo a pure volume-based <laughs> acquisition. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you're looking for that as your wide receiver three, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's not for me. <laughs> I need touchdowns. I need all the touchdowns. <laughs> 
I, I want upside. I think that's what and I think is what you're hitting that when you want to touch it. I want a little more upside than what yeah. he's going to provide. If you if you could tell me right away that Kyler's definitely gonna come back after week six, I'd be having a different conversation. But because we yeah, don't that, know that, yeah, that's doable. That's doable. If you tell me week six, then okay, I'll I'll draft him because I still have the rest of the season. I have to gear up for fantasy playoffs if I'm in contentions, et cetera, et cetera. I want a guy like that if I'm getting him as my wide receiver three. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little tight end action. George Kittle. Uh, George Kittle's a very frustrating fantasy player. I mean, he, he's great tight end. And I would still make the argument he's he's the best tight end. Yes, yeah. I'm looking at you, Travis Kelsey, all around in the NFL. But from a fantasy standpoint, man, oh, man, is he frustrating as all very. hell. He constantly goes as a top five tight end, which is that's where he should be. He should be ADP yeah. top tight end five. No problem with that whatsoever. I actually have him ranked six. Uh, because I have Darren Waller and Dallas Goddard in front of him. And that's why gotcha. he kind of bumps down to my six. Because I just think they're going to be a little bit more consistent. And that's where we get into the whole question of it all. Because you look at the time he spent with Brock Purdy. And he was amazing. But there's a couple of things that come with that. It was really a lot done when Debo Samuel was not on the field. And that's the hard part about all this. Seven targets, five touchdowns in three games, all with Debo not on the field. When Debo was on the field for three games with Brock Purdy and George Kittle, 4.6 targets a game. He had two touchdowns. Both came in the same week. Yeah. It's it. Listen, we had the same conversation with Brandon Ayuk the other year where he popped off and we're like, Debo's not on the field. He can't do this with Debo on the field, and he could not do it with Debo on the field that season. And it's like, you know, we we kind of have to take it for what it is with Kittle because we know he's such an excellent talent, and when he's healthy, you know, the guy, the, he could ball out. He's a tank. And the, the problem is is that I find myself when I do draft George Kittle, I have to get another tight end in those later rounds. I have to get a David, you know, Njoku or even – last pick Gerald ever like I have to get a guy that's going to have some type of volume and have some type of touchdown upside that they have to have a red zone presence and kid I think that's what happens with people that get frustrated with Kittle is because when they draft Kittle they draft them as if they're drafting Travis Kelsey and they could fade the entire tight end position for the rest of the for the rest of the draft or Mark Andrews you can't really do that with George Kittle and that's just kind of what you have to take with it yeah, that's the frustrating part. That's why I had to lay out, even with Purdy, because everyone looks at the run he had with Purdy, which was fantastic, yeah. but you had to look at it. It was still a matter of certain weapons not being certain on the field. Spaces. Yeah, and, and that's just that's just the tough part of it. Love them. That's why I have a tight end six, though. I think if you can draft them at a certain point, it's definitely yeah. the inconsistency. You're fine with it. But if you keep punching them up and you keep trying to take them in front of everybody else, I think you're going to be kind of disappointed this season. And, you know, that's why I've talked about Waller and his consistency. I don't care about the injury issues. Why I've talked about Dallas Goddard and what he could be if he could stay on the field healthy. These guys are more consistent on a week-to-week basis. And that's what I like a lot a lot about tight ends, especially with high target shares. What about your boy? He's got a pretty high target share normally. Tyler Higby, man. I, people sleep on him. I was on him last year. I was looking like a genius until the entire Rams offense decided to uh, leave the NFL early. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but with Higby, though, I mean, this guy is going as a tight end 15. Yeah. I got him in my top 12. I, I, I feel as though I try not to be biased because I go against my player sometimes. And I feel as though Tyler Higby is one of those guys I can't buy into. I just don't feel as though he's going to be a week to week guy. Like his ADP this year, I don't care. Take him. Take him as your second tight end after you take Kittle or somebody in that caliber. 
I just want people to understand, have your expectations in order when you throw a Tyler Higby in and it's week four or is it week 10 or whatever, when he actually pops off, most times he's going to pop off on your bench. So have that expectation. You're just going to have to deal with a headache to know the matchup, to know the defense. You're going to have to really do some deep diving to know this defense cannot handle tight ends at all. They score every single game. That's going to be one of those situations you get in when you plug and play a Tyler Higby. He's not a volume guy. He's not a guy that has a huge red zone presence. It may seem like he does, but it does not happen when you have a Cooper Cup or you have McVay just going full blazing and doing uh, a, a trickery with Brent Scar- uh, Ben Skoranek or something like that. Like it's, It gets really nasty in that red zone where you're hoping for Higby to have that red zone presence, and sometimes it does not exist. Well, and the reason he finished tight end nine last year is because he did have the volume. He had 20% team target share. That was actually the second highest of any tight end last year. But to your point, the problem is the touchdowns. Touchdowns have always eluded Tyler Higby. He had that one stretch when he first popped onto the scene, but he's never been a guy who's had double digits, 2.7 last year, and it's always been an issue. But when I look at the guys going in front of him, Greg Dolchich, Chick. You know, I'm not going to say his whole name, Chig, Dalton Saltz. They're all ahead of him. I don't know of that list. I, well, actually, I do. I will say I will take him ahead of Kincaid nine times, ten times out of yes. ten. Yeah. But the other guys, Dalton, Chig, Saltz, he belongs in that tier. I don't know if I'm taking him necessarily definitively ahead of those guys, but he belongs in that tier, that back end, tight end one, high end, tight end two, the guys that you're going to be able to pivot to if you don't get, in my opinion, this year in a top seven tight end. Because me, there's your seven tight ends where you might be able to fade the rest of the tight end position. After yeah. that becomes a wild goose shakes, I think he belongs in that tier. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. All right. Well, let's talk about the Cardinals then. Let's, Trey McBride, Zach Ertz. We kind of mentioned earlier, I, I don't see Zach Ertz playing another down for the Arizona Cardinals. Like, <laughs> first of all, we don't know when he's exactly coming back because it wasn't That's just what I was ACL. Say, isn't that weird? OTA, we heard nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> Is he ACL there? ACL <laughs> and MCL. So it wasn't just an ACL on top of it. And he got yeah. hurt in November. Mm. He already runs like a statue. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he it. sees Zach Ertz this season. I don't know. And and if we do, it's not going to be Zach Ertz that we know and love. So that's a situation where it's like, are you going to gamble? No. Are you going to get the guy named Trey McBride? Absolutely. Because you're getting him in dirt cheap rounds because people are forgetting about him. Like he just wasn't a top prospect, you know, tight end in his draft. Like, what are we doing? And I like what I saw last season when he started getting the increase of snap opportunity. So that's very encouraging to see that they're utilizing him as a weapon in that offense, which is good. And I think this new coaching staff is going to identify him as a guy that kind of pops out during training camp. Like training camp is definitely going to be Cardinals training camp is something that you want to watch. And I think guys like Greg Dorch and, you know, guys want guys like Rondell Moore to pop out, but Trey McBride's the number one guy you need to be watching because the volume's going to be there for him. I don't think you want to watch him as much as the hard knocks jets, but that's for another conversation <laughs> at another time. <laughs> I'm with you on Trey McBride. Second round draft capital. He's a three down tight end, which I think is a big factor when you're talking about a team that might play it more conservative this yeah. year, especially in the red zone. And there's a wide opening for who's going to be the second highest targeted rate pass catcher on that team. It could be Trey McBride next to Marquise Brown. Very well could be. So I like tight ends who have a pathway for touchdowns and a pathway for a high target share. Trey McBride yeah. has both of those when a year. I don't think we're going to see Zach Ertz at all. Okay, let's try to make some money. Welcome in. It's a lock. 
was a lock this year. Not, nothing's a lock, but you know, I like to make these preseason bets, the over-unders and the win totals, because this is where I can really cash in some money. I, I made the joke last week, you know, you put you make these bets, you totally forget about them, and then all of a sudden come January, I see my DraftKings account go boom, 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 boom. I'm like, oh, when did I do this? Oh, we do this now on this show. All right, Laquan. Cardinals over under four and a half. The odds are even money plus 100 for the over and minus 120 on the under. So Vegas is telling you they actually favor the under at four and a half. Where are you at the Cardinals? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, I'll probably go under. Uh, I, I just don't see it in the stars unless Kyler magically comes back. Like you said, week six. Um yeah, no, we're going to go to the under here. It's, it's, I have a hard time betting the under on a four and a half. <laughs> but that it, it division is back. He, it, it's, I don't know if they win a single game in a division, quite frankly. So that, that's what, six losses right there? I, I don't know if they beat anybody. Uh, mm. So, so when I look at this thing, I, this is probably one I stay away from. But if I am going to bet, I'm with you because ultimately I'm subscribing to the theory that they are going to tank for Caleb Williams and this new regime is going to move <laughs> yeah. forward with a new quarterback. And in order to do that, you're probably going to need less than four and a half wins. So I'm with you or I'm going with the under. So we're both on the under there. All right, let's talk about your Rams. who are getting royally disrespected, by the way. I'll just put that out there right now. Six and a half is the number. Minus 105 on the over. Minus 115 on the under. The value of the bet alone tells you to go over. The Rams are better than a six-win team. Unless they lose everyone to injury again, yeah, I think man. they're getting over six wins. Um, Yeah, I think six wins is uh, – we can go over there. I think they're like an eight to nine, ten, you know, win team if guys stay healthy. And I, I could see ballpark that, so yeah. I got them. I actually put a little bet on them to win second place in this division this year with the idea that Seattle maybe isn't quite as good – as people are ready for them to be, but that's neither here nor there. I do have them. I do want to chime in. Being that I work for the NFL, I am not betting. I do not promote betting. Okay. I do not say anything betting. But I'm going that the Rams could, you know, win you, more. Than you can tell me if you think they're going to get more than a couple of wins here. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get you in trouble here on this no, podcast. <laughs> All right, last one, not least, my team, San Francisco 49ers. The, the odds here are a little wonky. Uh, the, the number is 10 and a half, and odds for those of you betting, minus 145 on the over, plus 125 on the under. Laquan, do you think the 49ers are over under the 10 and a half mark? Man, that, that's a nasty bet, man. Because <laughs> it all comes down who's quarterback, who is going yeah. to be the quarterback the first couple of weeks of football. And Oh, that's kind of high for my taste, man. Um, could, could we pass? Could we fade that? <laughs> could, could we, we, we can definitely say that's that's, that's a no-win situation. And yeah, I would kind of be a, with you on that. I have them at 10, so I would technically take the under here. I think 10 wins wins this division, not because I don't think the division is very good, but because I think they're going to beat up on each other quite a bit. Yeah, and, and that's where I have a hesitation. And to your point, with a quarterback situation being what it is, unless you tell me Brock Purdy is going to play 15 of 17 games from the get-go, I have a hard time betting the over on this. So I'm with yeah. you on that. So I got the under there. And plus, the, the better odds are on the under, the plus 125. And again, I have them at 10. So I do have the under there. And then Seattle, uh, sorry, see, I skipped over Seattle. Seattle's eight and a half over under their odds are really wonky is minus 175 on the over and plus 150 on the under Vegas really telling you that they, 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 they favor the over on this line here. Uh, I don't, 
I'm taking the plus 150. I got because I have them at eight wins. I have the Rams at nine wins, winning second place. So that's why I have the under here. And I do like the odds that you're going to get for that. But what do you think? Eight and a half over under no, for Seattle? I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Cause I'm with them with the eight because it's like you said, quarterback situation with 49ers. If the Rams stay healthy, they could only get eight wins out of this season. So yeah, you take the under there. Their defense is not as good as people make it out to be. And I think that's oh, what people are losing too. So. Yeah. As I think yeah. people are losing focus on. Laquan has been a great show. Hopefully I didn't get in trouble with that last segment. No, you're good. <laughs> Thank you so <laughs> I, much I, for I, taking I, the time, man. I had a blast. Yeah. I want you to tell people where to follow you at and what you got coming up to go, to go check out. Oh, man, I got I got a bunch of content coming out in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be heavy, you know, involved in like ADPs and trying to get ready, you know, get, get people ready for drafts and stuff. But you can find me at Real Deal Fantasy on Twitter, Threads. And on Instagram. And so you guys can follow the content there. YouTube as well. Real Deal Fantasy. And just be on the lookout for a lot of content. Are you going to be back at the Expo? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Lit. <laughs> we are going to meet up, buddy. It's going to be a fun, fun time. Yeah, I can't I'm week. excited, man. We're going to be back next week on Thursday. We are not going to be quite finishing up the AFC West. We're going to be doing that at a special time on July 30th with Bob Harris at 11 a.m. That's Sunday morning. Next week, we got Brian Scott, our PT expert, coming on because it's right before training camp, and I want to get all the injury questions out of the way before training camp comes up. So we're going to have a big injury inquiry episode at 9.30 p.m., right here on our YouTube channel. Make sure you download the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And guys, we'll see you next week. <laughs>